professional athletes talk about how the game starts to slow down for them. And, you know, I don't know that I've ever fully understood that phrase, but it's something that I keep hearing over and over again. And the more that I hear about a professional athlete saying that the game slows down for them, and then finally when the commentators on television begin to use slow-mo, then suddenly I understand, oh, that's what it looks like for these guys when the, when the football's coming at the receiver and he can see the spin of it coming toward him or when the batter's in the box and he can he can pick up on whether it's a curveball or a slider. It, it's this idea that they have been in practice so often that they've seen those pitches or they've received those balls so many times that they understand all of the little nuances of what's going to happen next and the game slows down. But the only way that that happens is when you begin to master the details of your craft. And as believers, while we're pursuing holiness, we need to be able to do everything that God has requested of us in real time. That's what athletes do. While they're practicing, they think about how this is going to happen out on the field of play, how it's going to happen in the middle of a game, so that they're going to be ready for what's going to happen in real time. And so today, as we look into this particular passage in James, we're going to look at a little bit in chapter 1 and a little bit in chapter 2 during this session. I want you to think about how it is that you can have obedience in real time. Because often it is just this very theoretical idea of Christianity that we have kind of put up with. We've been willing to kind of just play the game that every once in a while we're going to have to put all of this into practice. But you and I have to live out God's truth in real world circumstances. When you sit in a worship service, then you can hear a sermon, but you feel like you're a little bit separated from the world. And even while your group is meeting, you're, you're living a little bit of a bubble kind of life in the moment while your small group is meeting together. And you could begin to kind of pacify your emotions and kind of placate off some of the normal details of the world. But then you're going to leave the worship service. You're going to walk out of your small group, whether you're meeting in a home or whether you're meeting in a classroom on a, on a church campus, and you're going to have to go to work. You're going to have to live this out with a spouse or with kids or grandkids, with neighbors, with people that are in the homeowners association or the other parents where both of your kids are playing on the little league team. You're going to have to find all of those real-world circumstances to live out the idea of holiness. So think about it this way. Obedience is going to start, when we look at this passage, obedience starts with hearing, but it continues in our actions. James makes a huge emphasis on the idea of both hearing and doing the Word of God. In fact, in James chapter 1, verse 22, uh, he says, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We don't ever like to think that we would deceive ourselves, that somehow we would fool ourselves into thinking that we're really making it when we're not. But the fact of the matter is, we all do this. Now, there are times when we say, you know what, I'm doing okay. You know, it could have gone worse. You know, in comparison to my neighbor, I'm doing just fine. You know, he kicks his dog, I don't kick mine. You know, they yell at their kids, I don't yell at my kids. He cheats on his taxes, I don't cheat on mine. And so we begin to play the comparison game. But James doesn't let us off. He says you have to start with both hearing the word and not play the comparison game, but instead you have to do the word. And that's why it's critical that as you learn about holiness that you don't quarantine holiness just to a, a classroom setting where it's just learning in status and learning alone, but rather that 
everything that we learn out of a book like James or any of the rest of the Bible that we take it out into the real world. Because learning really is of no value if practice does not accompany it. You've got to take the truth and you've got to put it into your life in such a way that it's going to live out. Holiness is all about separating your life towards God's purposes. And that means knowing the truth, but it also means doing the truth. In, again, here in James chapter 1, verse 26, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. You see, there's that idea again about self-deception. That when we know the truth, that it's got to show up in everything in our lives. And in this verse, he says, even showing up in your language. Now, in a later session, we're going to spend a little bit more time on the idea of how you use your words and controlling your tongue. But think about the emphasis that James is putting here. He is really bearing down on our lives, that there is, a, there is an element here where as believers we can never give in to this idea of self-deception, of somehow thinking that we've moved along farther than we really have if we know the truth, but then we don't practice the truth. Holiness, again, the idea of setting your life aside, it comes down to this idea of totality. When Jesus said that we have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, there is a sense there where you should, you should mine through the depths of all of those four aspects of your life, but never give up on the idea that Jesus is saying, with everything that you have, with everything that you are, you've got to live out my purposes, my will. You should be affectionate for the things to which I am affectionate for. You should love what I love. You should abhor and hate what I hate. You should strive after the ideas that are the kingdom of God, that are inside of the covenant of God, that's part of the mission of God. And so obedience is going to start with learning everything that God has said in his word and absolutely never giving up on that, but it has to be lived out. Which is why then on, in chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It is a beautiful picture that he gives to us. The idea that, that we're going to start with, with learning the Bible. We're going to start with the truth that is eternal and that, that never divert from it but that it has to show up then in connecting our faith that is internal with all of the external needs of people around us. That's obedience in real time when you find that there's somebody who's in need, a widow, an orphan, which in James's context, these are the people that are on the outskirts of society, the ones who had no one to take care of them. And James says in the very first part of his letter to the early believers, you need to take the truth of God and go apply it in a way that it benefits the least of these, the least of the least of these. God wants us to connect everything that is truth that has been implanted into our heart into every activity of our life so that we're slowing down the game, so that we can see the details, so that we can see the people that are in need. As James pushes on through this idea of obedience in real time, he helps us to see that faith and works are companions. 
sometimes we set it up as if they are, uh, as if they're fighting against one another, that somehow we, we can't let these two things come along. And there is a sense, if James was talking about the doctrine of salvation, we'd have a little bit of a different conversation here. But the book of James is actually written to believers, people who have already crossed over the threshold of faith. They, they're fully committed to Christ. And so now he's saying that faith is present, but it shows up when you are put through the paces of life. Your, your faith is there. You, you have trusted Christ, but people can see it when life crashes in on you, when suddenly the details of work, the details of family, the details of friendship shows up in your life. Think about the small group that you're sitting in right now, the people that you're having conversations with. Your faith is going to show up in front of them when you're having to deal with the details of life, when you're willing to be open and available and transparent to them about, well, this is what happened at work. I was on this project team and it all went south. Or, you know, our kid came home and he had straight A's and this is the way that we were able to help him navigate with the idea of that he had really excelled in school, but we were able to celebrate with him, but not let it turn into a boast fest of, of pride and ego. You know, everything from the victories of life to the places where we just feel like we've been brutalized by life. This is where faith and works become companions to one another. Over in chapter 2 of James, in verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? You know, what good is it to have faith if your works never display that faith? It, it is like the dead branch on a tree that, that just simply does no good for anyone. As James pushes on through a couple of other verses here in verse 15, he says, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you didn't give them what the body needs, what good is it? When I was in college, I had a professor that at the end of every single class, at the end of all of our semesters, he would always quote chapter 2, verse 16. He would always say, go in peace, be warm and well fed. And we always kind of chuckled about it as to why this professor always quoted that to us. Being college students, we just thought it was a little bit of a sarcastic barb. We knew he was quoting something out of the Bible. We were religion students. It was just kind of his sign-off that some days we thought were goofy, but then other times on some of his lectures, we would suddenly begin to get a little bit of an insight that he was trying to remind us, hey guys, everything that you're learning in this classroom, it can't just stay in this classroom that your faith and your works have to be companions through your whole life. Because as you separate your life, your will, your emotions, your mind, and all of your activities to be holy before God, that it's not just a mental exercise. You're not just having a theoretical Christianity, but this has got to live itself out in the real world. Stating truth, which as a pastor, I get to do that a lot, quite honestly, it's pretty easy. I mean, it's an easy thing for me to put on a microphone, to get dressed up for Sunday morning, to stand behind a pulpit, uh, to teach Bible studies, and to rattle off a whole lot of truth. I'm an information junkie. I like to know what's going on in the world. I, I like to keep up with you know, all of the information around my own hobbies. I, I like studying the Bible. I like finding the nuances of Greek and Hebrew word studies and, and exegetical work and then crafting together a great outline for a Bible study or a sermon or a teaching video. I love this kind of stuff. 
But this is the easy part, is to state the truth. Faith connected to our holiness is when you have committed your life. And that's why James uses these Old Testament examples in order to remind us that faith has always been the gateway to a relationship with God. It says in chapter 2, verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't that Abraham did everything right, because Abraham didn't do everything right. And and it wasn't, as you look through the Old Testament, that all of the kings and the prophets and all of the people of God did everything right, because they most certainly did not do everything right. But when they had faith, that's when it gets credited to you as righteousness. That's when the very character of God gets laid on top of your soul so that you can live out a holy lifestyle where you say, my life is completely given over to you. I recently uh, was sharing with a friend and he was talking to me about his own conversion experience and it was a little bit different than mine. I had been raised in church. I heard the gospel from a very early age. There was a time when I knelt in our den in Birmingham, Alabama with my dad on a Sunday morning and I prayed a prayer that he led me through in order to say, you know, Jesus, I trust in you for my salvation. My friend, on the other hand, had not been raised in a Christian home. He had been introduced to the tenets of Christianity in his adulthood. And his prayer was a lot simpler. He just said, God, here's my life. Do with that whatever you want. It it, it is that idea, and I love that from him, just that total abandonment that in whatever real-time circumstance I find myself in, God, here's my life. I, I just absolutely trust you to lead me any way you want to. Our obedience is an outworking of our faith. It doesn't replace it. Faith has to be there. That's what credits righteousness into our life by what God has done. And so it doesn't replace our faith. But works, they put your faith on display. And it allows you to live out holiness and to be obedient in real time.